Yes. Yes, it is fine, Chair. Okay. Uh, can we? Honorable can you ask a question? Yes, sir. I, I hope I'm audible enough. Honorable Mola, can you ensure that your video is on? We can't see you. It is on, sir. I hope you see me now. I can't see you. I can only see a very angry Honorable Janche. <laughs> my video is on. My mic is on. Yeah, I, yes, we can see you now. We can yes, see you uh, now. Uh, thank you very much. Uh, uh, greetings to all the honorable members of parliament. Uh, hoping you are keeping safe wherever you are. Uh, the first question is 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 um, with regards to the correctional services. Uh, the first first point of concern I had was keeping with the social distance as per the Department of Health regulations in an overcrowded uh, correctional service center. But the minister has touched that. But I think the second question to that regard would be, having identified the sources at which uh, inmates and uh, correctional services staff gets infected, which is through your, uh, the staff going to buy some essentials and the service providers performing them, uh, uh, some services inside. What are they then? What are they then doing to ensure that there is less uh, transmission in terms of giving the necessary material, and ensuring that there is no more infection when we enter into level four? Uh, the second issue would be on the on the court um, administration chair which relates to the reopening of some further matters, uh, except those which were opened in, in level five. Now, I would like to check if the public uh, is, is allowed to attend uh, matters that appear in court uh, in this level four, uh, as, as, as compared to what was happening in level five, or the public is not allowed the, the, the same uh, regulations in terms of public attendance into matters of court uh, would, 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 would be in force. The last one will be the, the, the NPA chair. Uh, in the report, uh, your bail applications, your, your first appearances, and all that and all that. But I would like to check if NPA is ready for, for level four in terms of uh, offering the PEs, the PPEs for their prosecutors uh, and uh, complaints around society was to doing awareness and monitoring. So I just wanted to take that chair very much. Thank you very much. Uh, I, I would really ask honourable members to be brief. Uh, we have uh, pressures of time. It's not like an ordinary committee where we have a lot of time. Uh, be straight to the point. Ask as many questions as you can, but 
try to be brief. Um, Honourable uh, Mohammed. Thank you, Chairperson. Um, just very briefly, Minister, um, in terms of awareness, there's a number of police stations that has been closed down because of the contracting of coronavirus at those particular stations where officers have been, have been tested positive. Now, are we aware of those? What, what happens is that a number of um, the domestic violence interdicts that has been, that has been approved by, by the magistrate are not being given effect to by the relevant police or where there's contravention of these uh, interdicts, uh, interim protection orders as well. The request is that we... Sorry, Chair, can you hear me? Yes, we can hear you. But okay. there's, there's noise around there. Yeah. There are people who are speaking. I'm not sure who they are. Thank you. Okay. I think it's fine now. The question is that we check that the, the magistrate court should report to the department which are these stations who is not able to give or execute these orders. The second one is just on level four, the plan. I know the regulations will be announced tonight. Uh, can we, when minister comes back, also get a presentation uh, at the next meeting on what the level four implementation plan would be. That would be appreciated. And then lastly, just on the sweeping and the cleaning of service points, maybe there can be an indicator by the acting DG, how many service points has been has been sweeped or, or cleaned so far. We talk about, I'm talking about justice service point, not the correction of what. Thank you. Um, Thank Steve, you. Chair. Okay, Honorable Swart. Very briefly, thank you, uh, Minister, for the inputs. Minister, obviously, the regulations and the hard lockdown has had a very severe impact on me. I would like to get in. I, I, just, I just want to ask the minister. I'm no, sorry. I'm, can we have order, please? Noted. You're noted, Chief. Honorable, Honorable Swartz, can you proceed? I will keep it very brief because I know that's limited time. I'd just like the minister to comment on the need for the curfew of 8 p.m. to 5 a.m., whether uh, there, there's been a consultation about that. Obviously, the issue of the regulations, the department has an oversight over the regulations as per the slides, and I would like to know whether it is deemed constitutionally compliant. Then thirdly, just the issue of higher levels of TB in correctional services, HIV AIDS, is this also been looked into whilst we are looking at COVID-19? And those will just be my three questions for this. Obviously, expressing understanding for the need for the lockdown, but looking forward, that we obviously need to look at the broader issues in the nation. Thank you, Chair. Thank you, Honourable Mutamai. His mic is muted. Honourable Mutamai. Jay 
correctional center maponesa a assaultile di bosho ha more than 10 inmates di lemetse ha botloko di batla di sanitation di batla di mask o tseri di tshetse di feng ka maponesa a shapile di bosho ba bantsa mama e mohabe ke batore minister mple Okay, uh, I thank you. Honourable uh, members, can I ask the minister to respond to the questions that have been asked because he's left with three minutes and then we continue to engage with the people who will be left um, um, on operational matters and noting that we are still going to have another meeting. Agree, Chair. Yeah, no, thank you. Thank Minister, you. Minister, you see that? Yes, I'm here. Yes. I'm can, you, here. Can, you, can you answer the, the questions that have been asked? Uh, okay, no, thank you, uh, Chairperson. Uh, firstly, is a, a comment or question from Honorable Nola. Yes, um, uh, indeed, the, the social distancing, the only remedy as advised by the World Health Organization and the Department of Health is that we have to ensure that people are able to access the cleaning, to clean, to wash their hands, uh, and also to screen the officials when they, they, they clock in for their for their shift. But also that one is not enough because it's just screening, it's not testing. Because we, in our engagement with the Department of Health, it has become apparent that it will not be possible to clean, to, to test all the officials every day. We can only screen them. And the second one relating to the TB and AIDS, whether we, we have not, uh, 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 are we still, are we still attending to those cases? Yes, we are still attending to those uh, matters uh, as and when um, they, they arise and when there is a need. But uh, as you may be aware, the, the World World Organization has already said that those are the vulnerable people. So we are looking at ways to protect such kind of inmates who are affected by these um, diseases that the Department of Health calls the uh, comorbidities. The, the issue of the police station from uh, relating to the to those that might have been closed because of people who have tested positive, I think we'll have to follow it up and um, ensure that we do get uh, the clear line and knowing where and how and what should be the the the, the, the remedy. The issue of Bavian uh, uh, sports, I will want to leave it to them to the commissioner, except to say that um, we have requested a report to get clarity from the department as to what happened, what was the condition. So we are still waiting for that, but I think the commissioner will be better placed to, to engage on that one. Thank you. Honorable uh, Minister, the other issue that I think is important, it's for the legal practitioners, both attorneys and advocates. 
those that are being owned by various state-owned companies, including the state uh, state attorneys, to be paid agently, because during this period they will not be able to survive. I think it would be important that other ministers, like uh, the Minister of Public Enterprises, be also be engaged, because um, quite a number of uh, um, advocates and attorneys rely on ESCOM, Transnet, and other entities that you engage broadly ministers that are responsible for state entities and on your side, the state attorney's office to ensure that uh, lawyers are paid um, urgently. Uh, that is noted, uh, Chairperson. Thank you very much. Uh, I think Minister... Excuse me, Chairperson. Uh, honorable yeah. Chair, you need to unmute. Okay. Who's speaking now? Hisham Mohammed. Mohammed? Yeah, Chair, I just want to clear the minister. The minister might have misunderstood. I'm saying that there's a there's in one police station, there's 43 protection orders that had to be executed or served that those police stations couldn't serve it because they were closed down. Then there's four others that I know of. That, that was the issue. It's about our protection orders not being served by the police because they, were, they happened to be closed down because of COVID-19 incidents. Thanks. Chairperson. Uh, Who's Chairperson. It's Ndlozi here. Okay, Honorable Ndlozi. Yeah, look, Chairperson, you know, uh, upon the minister concluding his remarks, we have been, uh, we have written on the side here, as we are properly instructed, that you will note us by looking at our requests so that we don't all shout at the same time if we want to speak. And you have gone through all the rounds without noting the names of the people uh, amongst which is myself, who have requested to raise questions. So I don't know, we have to immediately establish a principle of how we, you know, ask to be noted, because you asked us to write there, we long wrote, but you prioritized people who, uh, you know, just jump in and speak, and I don't think that's sustainable. Having said that, I would, I would request again to be noted. Members, I think uh, the system. For instance, I have not seen any of your of your communication, Honourable Jose. Um, I think for now, I rely on people raising their voices. I I don't see people here who who were raising their hands. Uh, Honourable Jose, you know, uh, can you ask a question? Okay, my my first way, uh, intervention is really a comment that Chairperson, please get familiar with this uh, facility because. Everything on my screen also appears on your screen. There are a whole set of people who have asked to be noted. Uh, they are there on the side. So you need to put the functions in such a way that you are able to see the conversations on the screen on the side. And then people who are uh, we, we, can't, we can't see on our uh, screens. Not so if I'm the only one. It's, it's just blank on my side. Uh, remember, I was asked to appear as well. So can he appear as well? Yeah, I also can't see him. Yeah, so my first question 
Jose, show your face. My, my first question, Honorable Chair. <laughs> Honorable Jose, can you ensure that your video is on? Yeah, I did, but I don't know what is the problem. But, I mean, maybe it will or it will not. Can I proceed? Yeah, proceed. proceed. I'm hearing you. Proceed. Yes, I, the first uh, really question is that I think we must uh, get a detailed uh, sort of... Um, budget breakdown following the adjustments that were announced by Treasury. The department has to brief us, you know, in relation to the the entire budget reorganization that Treasury announced, how it affects the department, uh, and so on and so forth. So I don't know if uh, the DG is here and can take us through that, uh, because I would have thought that... Uh, that would have been one of the most important uh, aspects that we should be uh, uh, briefed on. And then a procurement breakdown. From what the minister is saying, one doesn't get a detail of, uh, you know, the proper uh, articulation of uh, what are the budgets, uh, how many uh, uh, personal protective equipments, have been uh, budgeted for, where are they going to be procured? We need that particular uh, detailed articulation. Uh, and I would request that uh, if they don't, if they do have that information now, let them take us through uh, those procurement processes. There's also procurement regulations that uh, are adjusted uh, under these circumstances that Treasury released. Uh, I would have hoped that we get that type uh, uh, of a brief. It seems to me as well that uh, a general detail as well has to be given about how social distancing applies. I think the minister's response uh, was very laser fair. Uh, we have to get a sense of are you reorganizing the prisons in light of uh, social distancing um, uh, requirements? And if so, what are the details uh, of uh, of those things. For instance, are you isolating uh, uh, inmates that are about, that are vulnerable, like those who are uh, who've got pneumonia, who are who've got tuberculosis, who've got HIV and AIDS? Are you separating them? Are you separating the old ones? What are the are the are the regulations that you are putting in prisons in light of uh, the necessity of social distancing? Can we get uh, you know? That, that, that sort of detail. And then the expediation of cases uh, that uh, I thought are also of paramount importance to make sure that the lockdown is properly respected. There's a lot of domestic violence that happens. Uh, I would, I would uh, welcome a presentation of are there ways to expedite those cases? Because if we force people to stay at home, then we have to prioritize all the complaints regarding domestic violence, regarding rape, uh, are we able to get a brief of mechanisms that are put in place to expedite uh, such cases? And then as well as evictions. We've seen a lot of evictions that make lockdown impossible for our people. Uh, some of them are like well-famous cases already, widely reported by the media, where red ants, in collaboration with some of the metropolis in Johannesburg and other cities, are evicting people violently, regardless of the fact that 
there was a direct stipulation that there shouldn't be uh, uh, evictions. Is there a process or a way to expedite the hearing of such cases uh, to ensure that they don't happen uh, 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 in general? Those, um, uh, Chairperson, are my, are my concerns. Thank you very much. No, thank you very much. Uh, since uh, your, you raised your concern, I've been able to to see the the people here on my side. I have uh, Honorable Sheikh, I have Honorable Janji, and there is a guest use, I don't know the name, and then I have Honorable Mufuke, I have, um, yeah, those are the people in that order. Um, I think most of the questions that Sorry, have been I've been trying to attract your attention all afternoon. I'd also like to ask some questions. Please, it's Glennis. Thank you. Okay, okay. Honorable Glennis, Rittenbach. Um, I'm not sure. The minister, are you still around? Yes, Chairperson, uh, I'm still around, but I'm now pressed to, to really leave. I want to seek your, your indulgence. Okay. Most the questions that have been asked so far are operational. Um, but we will isolate the questions that require uh, you, you in the next meeting. But I think uh, honorable members can proceed. I think uh, also the, the departments that are present, uh, I think some of the questions asked by honorable Rosie can be responded to by the NPA. Um, I think there are also questions that can be responded to by the Commissioner of the Correctional Services. So I think uh, let's proceed, honorable members, in that way. I, uh, the people that have noted, Honorable Minister, uh, maybe let's give you a parting shot. Answer those that uh, question that, uh, that, that you think you can, that, that the question that has been asked to you, and then you can leave thereafter. Yeah, no, thank you, Chairperson. Uh, uh, <clears throat> what I can say is that I think uh, both uh, the DMs. Oh, sorry, Chairperson, I did not see I was on mute. What, what I can say, Chairperson, uh, is that um, <clears throat> I think both uh, DM Lomisa and Jeffrey will be able to 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 respond to some of the of the issues because most of the issues we have attended to them together. So I'm confident that they will be able to deal with them. It could be issues, some of the issues that could be difficult. That, uh, maybe could be the issues that fall uh, squarely within the terrain of the National Command Council, like the risk adjustment strategy, where and how those years could be where myself I could answer. But I think most of them they will be able to to respond to Chairperson because we have worked together on most of the of the issues. Okay. And Chair. Can you answer that one that you said is difficult for them to answer before you leave? <laughs> oh, okay, Jefferson, I think it's the one that you were asking about. Um, uh, I think uh, it's um, relating to what are we going to do with, with the current level of the risk adjustment strategy. So the, the regulation will be published now at 6, and hopefully, I don't know whether the government gazette were able to do so, in, in, in that regard, we will be at level four. And um, the, in terms of the risk adjustment, it is informed by the 
epidemiological report and uh, and the and the issues the Department of Health for areas might have identified as hotspots. So we will uh, publish the regulations that deal with level four. The next one we will publish will then deal with the other levels. But we had to publish these ones because as per the last determination is that will, the whole country will move to level four. Then there will be a, 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 a city that will then determine in terms of categorization for the various uh, district metropolitans, uh, wards, or at provinces. So it means that in the next stage, you will find a province in a different level and another one in a different level and find a region or a district in a different level and another one in a different level. But that will only come up with the more details as we we move a uh, chairperson. That is the only one that I think I can take. I think the other ones uh, they will be able to attend to. Thank you very much. Uh, Honorable Bredenbach, we are noted, I've noted you. Uh, let me proceed with the questions. I have G.U. here who's a guest. Uh, who's G.U.? Um, Chair. Hello? Chair, it's James Self here. Uh, we are noted, Honorable Self. Uh, I'm, I'm still looking for the G.U. I've got a person who said he would like to speak. is referred to you as he has G.U. Okay. Can we go to Honorable Sheikh? Yeah, thank you, Chairperson. Uh, okay, uh, given the increased reports of uh, gender-based violence during this lockdown period, um, I'd like to know from the department uh, what is the status of the Tutuzela centers during this lockdown period and what safety measures have been put in place in these centers um, and that they remain uh, accessible to women during this period? Chair, I'm going to make reference to the presentations that we received from, from the department. Um, in terms of the, the, the National Prosecuting Agency's presentation, Chair, they, 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 they indicate uh, in slide 16 that where they reflect challenges, and they note that there's been inconsistent application of the regulations by SATS. Um, if the department please indicate uh, or provide details on how SAPS has been inconsistent in its application of the regulations, but also uh, indicate what measures have been undertaken by the MPA to address this challenge with, with the SAPS. Chair, in terms of uh, correctional services, um, uh, the, the presentation also makes re a reference to quarantine and isolation sites. Um, I think the issue of so social distancing was raised by another member, but given the high levels of overcrowding in these correctional facilities, how is the department ensuring the availability of quarantine and isolation sites? But, Chair, um, I'm sure if the department could also provide us with a province-by-province -province breakdown in terms in terms of this information. It might not be now, but if they can provide it to us uh, at, at a later stage. Chair, in terms of the um, number of infections of inmates in um, correctional facilities, and the minister did mention um, measures that they put in place and their experiences with the Department of Health or the assistance with the Department of Health. Uh, but if the department can indicate what lessons they have learned 
uh, in respect of uh, what happened in the Eastern Cape, uh, and also how are these lessons being uh, trans translated into informed initiatives uh, to mitigate the risk of infections in, in other provinces? Sure, with regard to... Um, I just have one, one one more question, Chair. Um, I think when with regard to the court steps uh, that was provided during the lockdown, uh, there, there's a demonstration of a high volume of criminal cases. Um, but if they can perhaps indicate uh, to what extent were these criminal cases as a result of the increased number of people who were arrested due to the contraventions of the lockdown regulations. Uh, and, and lastly, Chair, um, I think this question is also directed to the NPA uh, because um, given the, the IPED investigations that relate to police misconduct during the lockdown, I want to know what measures has the NPA undertaken to work with IPED in this regard? Thank you, Chair. Thank you, uh, uh, Honorable Janshi. Thank you very much, Chair. I just have a few issues to raise. Maybe the first issue to raise is to suggest that as you close, you will help us to uh, the following meeting in the following week. Because I think the exercise we're doing today um, is very effective. Uh, I think it's very important that we have that meeting together. Some of the things that we want to raise, we want the minister to take responsibility. And not just to be reporting what must happen. I really want to suggest that because even some of the issues that Honorable Rose is raising uh, in relation to the budget in line with the, the adjustment uh, statement that was by the Minister of Finance, uh, in the presentation, we don't have that. And I would even want them to, to try and attempt uh, and half measures to do that. That would have the full representation well prepared on those issues. And, and it's in line with if you look at your agenda of next week, we're already beginning to get in that space uh, in terms of the agenda of the 4th or 5th of May. I want to suggest that. But just the three other issues I want to raise for, for today. The first one, Chair, uh, the, the Deputy Minister of Correction is not here, but I think we can. Somebody must tell the minister that in relation to a lack of regular screening and testing weekly or every day, uh, I don't buy what is presenting here, uh, quite frankly. And, and perhaps the commissioner can, can take this in saying that I, I don't want to ask you questions, but it can listen to the following thing that one, you have the president declaring no visit to prison. There was a reason for that. And and, and the kind of things that we have in prison today did not emanate in prison. We were brought in by officials. And so there's a weakness in that regard. And therefore, the issue that we should be saying is that please come back and bring us a plan that actually depicts how you are going to regular screen and test on a weekly basis, what is happening there? If you can't do that, you must be able to present to us how are you going to stay down the movement of those officials who come into contact with inmates 
every day. Those inmates are not all over the place. We don't need that, then, but also part of that talent. Those that are joining the, the, the correctional centers, having been arrested and, and convicted, how do they get quarantined? Do they, they don't have to uh, uh, transmit what they bring if they are not tested, what they bring outside into, into, into the prison. That is the kind of plan that we need uh, for us to really to be satisfied about. Otherwise, they, they, you, you, you can't say to me, there was a, 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 a declaration that there's no visit and there was a reason for that. And yet you didn't do anything else to stop the transmission, to contain that. That's my first point, Chair. The second point, still in relation to that, it's very clear that there are already some lessons, very good lessons that were getting. Kind of the fact that you are saying to us, as a result of this uh, non-business, we are seeing a reduction in the concept band. So um, I will be interested as to how do we take that forward into the new normal? Because we have always had a problem in, 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 in that regard. My, 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 my next question, Chair, is the Minister spoke about the success around the virtual decision making where there's less movement of paper and has indicated that there's currently video conferencing available. And I want to check uh, to the department and the deputy minister, are you saying to us today that as we speak here, there's a video conferencing available in all courts uh, in the country? Is that in place? And if it's only a few, can you indicate which are those and so on? But it, it, it would have been a very good uh, intervention that you have made. Otherwise, I don't want to just throw the, a, a general statement in that regard. I will pause there for now, Chair. Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, Honorable Jackie Mufuke. Thank you, Chairperson. Uh, I would like to welcome the presentation, Chair. I think on the question that was raised by Honorable Josie, I'd like, like to align myself with the issue of the domestic violence presentation. I am not impressed with what I heard of 8,000 plus calls of domestic violence. And those 8,000 plus calls, you don't get a sense of what is reported there because now recently the police officer has been killed going to a house. Now, when the calls comes in, we want to know whether the domestic violence actually registered in police stations were registered or is just a number. And a number can be that I can call four times. Now, how am I going to be accounted? And the other thing is on that issue that uh, is very important is to get the presentation so that we see per province what is actually happening. I'm going to leave on that uh, proposal by Honorable Ndozi, which I agree with. The second part is on the issue of uh, the 19,000 offenders that have to be released. And one has also seen that uh, the recommendations will be on lighter sentences and also people that are over 65. I mean, we have an example of Obofluid, who has done a mess in molesting women, uh, uh, young women or young girls, a person is out, but we want to say that anybody who's 65 can, 65 can be saved. It cannot be possible. Can we have a list per province 
to see who are those people that are coming out. It cannot be that the prisons are full, then we must have people going out. They might even come out to go to families to infect them. Is there any plan that has been made that they must be checked? They must be quarantined before they go to families. It should not be a rush because we might find ourselves going back to that a, a, a problem of a level five. The last one is on the report of correctional services. Chair, I don't see much about the Mangawum prison, which is a private prison. And we know very well that there are challenges there of gangsters, of anything that is happening out there. But nothing is said about them in the report. And I wish we could see that the riots, the gangsters, and the conniving, and all the things that are there is part of the oversight because they are funded by government too. Thank you, Chair. Thank you very much, uh, Honorable Hong. Yeah, thank you, Chair. Yeah, thank you, Chairperson. Um, a few questions, maybe tapping into what already has been asked on the on the uh, those inmates who have been have been released uh, Monday last. If we could, as a committee, also be a praised as to what, on average, percentage of their sentences were still left. Um, as a percentage and, and also in terms of, uh, on average, the months left of their sentences. And then in line with the, what the Honorable Mofukeng has asked, um, I want to know what uh, measures or uh, due diligence did the department uh, implement to ensure, given the fact that during the lockdown, all, everybody has to be at home that all 19,000 released had a home to return to. Um, and in the absence of that, whether the department can give us the assurance that they were uh, those released without a home to go to were then accommodated uh, along with other homeless people in those shelters. Um, then in terms of uh, general operational issues, uh, Chair, uh, We've noted the reports that the instability at the KwaZulu-Natal regional office, head office, um, is still very much a concern with a regional commissioner who's been dismissed, restored to office by court, and then media reports uh, which indicate that the, the national commissioner has even uh, taken to in, ensure that he's, he does not take up that seat again. So uh, as a committee, we must be very worried about that state of affairs. We are a, a, a country where the rule of law must be upheld. So uh, if the National Commissioner could appraise us to what his thinking was uh, in, in barring the restored regional commissioner, commissioner from taking up his seat. In respect of the quarantine facilities of DCS, I also must add my voice from the presentation. It is quite clear that certain regions, specifically the Free State Northern Cape region, has done very little in terms of quarantine facilities. Luckily, there's not been an outbreak in that region, but I, I think we uh, need answers as to what is, is going to happen in the foreseeable future to add 
spaces in those quarantine facilities. And then in respect of the Department of Justice, yes, the presentation is at best very sketchy. I agree with colleagues. There's made mention of a possible savings of 200 million rand, but in no way do we get an indication as to where that saving will come from. And then lastly, Chair, if you'll allow, you'll allow me, I think what we also need a presentation on as a matter of urgency is what the status is now as a result of the lockdown and, and the directives issued and the practical implication on court cases not proceeding. What's the status of the backlog role now? Um, as, as well as an indication as to if civil matters are enrolled or re-enrolled now, both in our uh, bigger lower courts and our high courts, what is the uh, the uh, amount of the number of months that, that will be the soonest when trials, civil trials can proceed in order for us as a parliament to, to see what the real state of, of our uh, uh, legal or our justice system is in respect of, of, of trials and hearings. Thank you, Chair. The Honourable Pretenbach. You know, Chair, have you not heard me? Okay. Thank you. Thank you, Chair. Can you hear me? Yes. Okay. Thank you. Good afternoon, everybody. Um, let me start off by saying that um, I, I, I get that the Minister had to go and I get that there was a clash. But I, I agree with the Honourable Mbozi that this is most unsatisfactory. And that this is the first time we've met in more than a month. And we get no opportunity to engage with, with the Minister. It's, um, we, we will really have to schedule a meeting where we can engage with him. <coughs> then um, I'm largely covered by um, the Honourable Shape with regards to gender-based violence issues. Um, and I must say that I find the uh, presentation of the National Prosecuting Authority um, somewhat superficial, uh, disappointingly so. Um, I get that everyone's busy and, and I understand that this is uh, new for everybody. But on the other hand, everybody's been working at a very scaled-down pace uh, for the last five weeks. Um, I'm sure that there was more information that could have gone in there that isn't there. Um, so my question to the NPA is 29%, they set out the percentage of cases, 32% were released on warning, the, the uh, arrests uh, and first appearances, 16% on bail. Uh, 29% were disposed of. What does this mean? Disposed of how? Um, I'm not, I don't understand what disposed of means, and I'd like a, a little more detail about that. Then I'd like to know, um, of, of these cases that are being, how many cases are being dealt with that are not new cases, that are not um, uh, contraventions of the regulations cases? Is there is there some sort of flow of work, of the old work, part heard matters, are they being heard? Uh, what is being done with that, and how precisely are people in court, the court employees, the prosecutors, the judiciary uh, being protected and, and precisely what are they doing about this and, and what is it that they're short of that they need? 
Uh, I'm concerned about network interruptions on the on the justice network. Uh, and I'd like to know from the Department of Justice what has been done about that, tampering the MPA in their work, and, and I'd like to know what they're doing to address that issue. Um, I'd also like to know if any interaction is taking place between the National Prosecuting Authority, South African Police, and the judiciary with regards to the inconsistencies that are spoken of in the application of the regulations. Uh, in law, inconsistency is everybody's mortal enemy, so um, I'm hoping that something has been done about that. I'd like to know what. Uh, then there's an increase in cases that are not enrolled due to insufficient evidence. Um, why is this? Why, why does the NPA think this is and what has been done to address it? And then the NPA complains of lack of uniformity in their own um, application across the country. Uh, how is that being addressed? Well, that in itself is untenable. DCS talks a lot about screening, but we all know that screening is a very superficial thing, and it doesn't mean a lot. Um, I need to know if they're doing testing. Um, I'm also concerned about the release of, of prisoners. Um, I'd like to see a schedule of who is being released, what offences they were convicted of, what length of time was their sentence, how much of their sentence have they served? Are they screened or tested before being released? Who will monitor them once they've been released? We all know that um, that uh, community corrections can't do it, they're under staff. I'd like to see on the schedule whether they're repeat offenders or first offenders. I'd like to see on the schedule if they were previously considered for parole or early release and what the outcome of that consideration was. And then, as mentioned by someone before me, where will they go? Do they have homes to go to? And if they don't, what, what arrangements are in place to accommodate them? Uh, and I have many more questions, but I'll save them for our next interaction. Thank you. Thank you, honorable members. Can I suggest that uh, we have the following people, uh, honorable Detroit, Honorable Jim okay. Serve. Okay. Honorable Inokimoto. Hello? Sorry, uh, Chair. Uh, sorry, Chair. Sorry to interrupt, uh, but perhaps I should just indicate to the meeting that um, Honorable Duterte is not a member of the committee in the NCOP. However, he's allowed to be present in the meetings of our committees. And uh, if you, being, being not a member of the committee chair, I want to propose that perhaps if time allows, uh, that he be allowed to, to raise his question at the end. Thank you, Chair. There's a protocol he knows he needs to follow, which I, I see he just put it in the chat. But if you can please uh, indulge him. Thank you, Chair. Okay, now we've, we will allow him. We'll we have three people now. We have Honorable Detroit, we have Honorable James Self, then we have Honorable I would ask that we allow the, the departments, the, minister, the deputy ministers to respond.
because after that there will be too many questions they would not know which one came first so can i allow the three people to to ask questions and allow for the departments to respond thank you honorable chair honorable chair questions to the npa the legal practitioners were up to now not allowed to attend to their offices and were only allowed to attend to court with permits issued by the legal practice council uh, this has impacted seriously on the vulnerable citizens who do not have access to justice. Are you going to allow legal practitioners to attend to their offices and to consult with clients without having to obtain permits first? And my second question, what about the issue of prescription of civil claims? Will there be an amendment to legislation or otherwise to provide for the interruption of prescription of these claims? Thank you, Chair. Thank you very much, Honorable Chair himself. Honorable Chair, I have been raising my hand. I did write, I am not noted. Okay, thanks. You will be given a chance in the next round. Thank you, Chair. I'm going to make life simple because my questions are being covered by our colleagues. Thank you so much. Thank you very much. Uh, thank you, Chair. Uh, sorry, I joined the the, 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 sister, the the conversation very late, but um, it was having some technical problems. Again, Chair, the a statement that is raised by the NPA. Particularly where they raise their challenge. What is concerning to me, Chair, is the matter, especially bullet three, where they raise that some of their cases uh, are not being enrolled due to the insufficient evidence to secure conviction. How is that, Chair? Can it be explained to us whether what is the program to uh, a program that they have or a plan to address such uh, challenges? Thank you very much, Chair. Uh, thank you very much. Can I allow uh, Deputy Minister Justice uh, and, and any of the members of his team, and then followed by Deputy Minister Correctional Services and any member of, of his team? Uh, thanks, Chair. Can you hear me? Can you hear me? Yes. Okay. okay. Yes, but we, right. can't see, we can't see you. Uh, I have put on my... Um, my cam I've turned my camera on, so I'm not sure what the what the problem is. Yeah, I can see you now. You can see me now. Okay, great. Um, look, I think the 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 acting DG is here. Um, so, uh, and I think some of the issues relating to uh, the budget um, or the budget changes, um, the department would have to prepare a a proper response. Um, Honourable Mola. And Mola, sorry, um, raised the issue of the public attendance at courts. Um, uh, basic, well, we're changing to level four on on Friday. Um, obviously, the courts will open on uh, on Monday, um, and the number of matters being dealt with has been extended, uh, but the process would still remain the same. That. Um, uh, people would not get entry into the courts. They'd have to wait outside uh, the, the, the complex. 
uh, and then they would be let in in terms of explaining where they're going to. A lot of the, um, the, 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 I can't remember the exact wording of the directions, but it would largely remain the same, and that is that uh, it would be um, public generally not allowed, but um, a, a, a person can come in and support, and uh, the media are, are allowed. Um, we, we need to quite carefully reduce the numbers because the, the public galleries in many of the courtrooms, uh, particularly the magistrates' courtrooms, are, are very small. Um, on the issue of the domestic violence orders, I was just having a discussion on, on another medium with Honorable Mohammed, uh, um, uh, and um, we'll follow up this issue of, of the domestic violence with the police, the domestic violence uh, interim orders not being, uh, not being served. Um, the video conferencing, we'd have to come back to you on that unless the uh, acting DG uh, has details. Um, some of you may have seen the uh, virtual motion court in, in Port Elizabeth that was on, on YouTube. Uh, um, the legal practitioners, uh, the, the directions, okay, so regulations are coming out hopefully tonight, uh, which would be issued by the Minister of Cooperative Governance. Uh, there's a media conference at six that the Minister is, is attending to give details on that. Uh, thereafter, there will be directions, new directions from the, the minister, and um, the, uh, there are attempts to make it easier for legal practitioners uh, to uh, do their work. Um, however, we've still got to remember we are in a, a partial a lockdown, so it's, it's not as if everybody can go around uh, freely. Uh, the issue of prescription of civil claims, uh, if need be, we can look at amendments. Um, the Act does provide that the, the courts uh, can, um, or the court can, can basically uh, accept reasons if, if uh, prescription has been reached and accept reasons that the matter can still uh, proceed. And obviously, I think this is a very good reason. Um, I think the... Uh, the NPA issues, I mean, on the TCCs, the um, NDPP or somebody from the NPA will uh, will answer. Um, and, yeah, I think I think those are the, the ones that I can deal with. Uh, maybe if it can then go to the acting DG uh, and the NDPP or somebody from the NPA. Uh, Thank you, Deputy Minister. Uh, and let me greet all the honorable members. I wanted to check if I'm audible. Somebody's uh, Acting DG, you, as far as I can see, you can be, uh, you're being heard, but you're not. Okay, now you're seen. Okay, yes. Can somebody unmute? There's an echo here we're trying to address, uh, but I hope I'm able what I'm trying to say, I'm hearing myself, it's an echo, yes. But I hope honorable members are able to hear me, yes. Uh, thanks, Deputy Minister, and thanks to uh, uh, the Chair and honorable members. I just reflect on a few questions which have been asked. Uh, firstly, I wanted to indicate 
that I've been fortunate in the sense that I've been a part of the drafting team of the regulations. So I've been able to also anticipate what are the things are, which are going to come so that I can basically reflect them on the directions. I can say immediately that uh, out of the matters which will be additional, which will be dealt with by the courts, are the limited trials, restricted trials which are limited to corruption, sexual offenses, gender-based violence, and the violations of the COVID-19 regulations, as well as cases where accused persons are in custody. This is basically to ensure that we don't create more challenges or backlogs in the courts, etc. But other than that, uh, before the the, uh, 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 the the end of the lockdown, there were no trials taking place per se, except for for uh, postponement bail applications and also protection orders, etc. So there's a, a little extension of cases, which in the regulations will be dealt with as permitted case uh, uh, services. There are, number, there are a number of questions which we have noted, and we'll make a clear presentation to the, to the committee so I can respond to each of them. Let me, I'm with the CFO now, and I can briefly indicate that uh, from the budget perspective, uh, departments were requested to uh, indicate from their budgets amounts which they are going to make available for for the uh, for the COVID-19 uh, response budget, and uh, uh, from the department side, we have identified 600 million, which basically would have been prioritized from projects which would have uh, which would not be which uh, a full expenditure due to the delayed in terms of the startup of the new financial year, as well as further prioritization in terms of the capacity that we have, etc. We hope that we are going to we are going to get back 200 million of the 400 of the 600 million of five. But the CFO will detail that in the presentation, which a part we have circulated, but we are going to revise it to address some of the questions with the honourable members of CETA. There was a special question also from Honourable uh, Mohammed in terms of how many courts which were deplined or disinfected. And uh, the process that we are following is that we only the courts are only, only goes through that process if it happens that there have been someone who have been detected with infection or suspected. Uh, the, we have had a number of courts. The total to date is about uh, 30 plus or so, with uh, Limpopo having 15, Kauten 6, uh, Eastern Cape 2, KZN1, Pumalaga um, 0, Northern Cape 1, Northwest 1. But what we'll do, we'll provide a full detail of those costs because the numbers keeps coming on an ongoing basis. It's not a, a standing target. So courts have been opened with limited uh, uh, staff, and I think uh, from next week it's going to increase a, big, a bit of a time. Part of the regulations we should be will be requiring of all the DGs, all heads of institutions to develop a plan in terms of which they are going to implement the social, uh, the social distancing, they are going to provide for, for the other personal protective equipment, 
they're going to make a, 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 they're going to ensure adherence to the health protocols and the, the regulation are going to require that every department appoints a COVID-19 compliance official for that purpose so that on an ongoing basis there's a monitoring of the various aspects to make sure that there's adherence to those processes. Um, uh, the, the, the regulations will also continue to outlaw evictions. Uh, uh, there will be permission for the matters to be dealt with. The execution part of it, which will be basically suspended until until the end of the of the uh, of the alert level four. I think as we go down to alert level three and two or so, some of the issues may be eased so that it can happen. But I think. Alert level four is still uh, very tight. In fact, uh, uh, there's, there's, there's going to be further restriction in terms of movement of people, in terms of whatever, but I'm sure S6 o'clock is going to be very clear why those matters which are going to be uh, further uh, restricted or so. Video conferencing, we don't have anyone in the courts. What we have, we have the AVR. Uh, uh, audio-visual systems which are established between the courts and process centers and are only being used for postponement of cases that are 47. And uh, uh, we've, we've circulated states in terms of how many cases have been postponed through those centers. We don't have videos per se in the courts, but I think part of the uh, development or initiative that will unfold is to use this CCTVs that we have in court to be expanded to some form of additional visual virtual uh, services such as uh, a, a virtual interpretation, in particular with regard to foreign interpreters. But we are still in the early stage of development of of of, of those systems. We are still at the conceptualization stage, but the COVID-19 has basically put a push that we look into those aspects. As well. I've just been picking things which I can basically respond to for now, but I think there'll be a detailed response in terms of the matters that the honorable members have asked. I want to give other colleagues also time to also to say something so that we have time to speak. Thanks. DM Chair, may I proceed now, the NPA? Yes, yes, you, you can. Thank you, Honorable Chair. Um, Chair, there were a number of, there were a couple of questions relating to PPEs for the prosecutors in the courts, and I will ask uh, Advocate Karen van Rensburg, the acting head of the administration in the NPA, to take those questions. There were then a number of questions relating to um, the cases in court, domestic violence, um, and I will ask Ask Advocate Rodney de Kock, um, the acting head of the National Prosecuting Service in charge of the operations in the courts, to take those questions. And if there's anything left over, I'll fill in at the end. Karen? Okay, thank you, NPP. Good evening, everybody. All right, in terms of the PPEs, the Department of Justice in the lower courts, as already indicated by the acting DG, uh, does provide for the lower court prosecutors as well. As indicated by the minister, there was a shortage of supply. There was just nobody who was selling. 
but um, the DOJ did receive and in bulk today and yesterday huge amounts of, of the PPEs that are required for all courts and are busy shipping them out to the courts. We did utilize petty cash for the purposes in the interim to fill the gap while we were looking for uh, um, suppliers of the larger quantities. And in that regard, we were very mindful of extending this to local communities and uh, new industries that were developing there, specifically in the supply of cloth masks. So we've supplied two cloth masks to every person. As regards the rest, we've placed bulk orders in terms of the, the, the requirements for at least the following five months. And that relates to gloves, a box per person, as we say in our presentation, sanitizers. Initially, we couldn't find bottles, uh, and it was really difficult, but that's, that's easing up a lot now, and it's a lot easier to provide. Masks, as I've already indicated, as well as shields. We're busy looking at procuring the shields now, and I know DOJ also has procured shields for the frontline officers, and we're working very closely with DOJ. Uh, Mr. Johnson, who's in charge of the PPEs for the lower courts, to roll out and make sure that every all the prosecutors do have. So initially, we were struggling. We didn't have enough, and it was a problem, but that was a general problem in the country. But right now, that's a lot better, as well as sanitizers and issuing regularly instructions to people to understand the need to wash hands and those things that are required. We have set aside 10 million for the current financial year um, for the provisioning of PPEs in, in, in the whole of the courts. Scanners, as of next week, as people start returning more, scanners will be required. DOJ is in the process of procuring scanners for the lower court, and we are using the same specifications so that there's uniformity to procure for the, the DPP officers. But we have been informed by the supplier that they are struggling to provide us, and we probably won't have by Monday. And that will impact on our planning in terms of how we allow people back and who we allow back into the NPA buildings. But at the moment, a lot more of the people are working remotely. In terms of the details of who we procured, etc., there is a parliamentary question. We are busy collating all that information. The due date for submission is the 11th of May, and that will be made available to you as well. That will provide a breakdown per province, per PPE cost, and who we procured from. Thank you. Thank you, Karen. Rodney, to Cock. Thank you, uh, Chairperson. Just on some of the questions relating to the prosecution operations. Firstly, um, when the lockdown um, was declared, um, we had to ensure that a number of factors are taken into account including the safety of personnel, prosecutors, court personnel, and in the, um, in the spirit of the directions issued by the minister uh, while the accused persons appeared in court. So in other words, when the accused arrived at the courts, they would, the cases would be postponed and the cases would be postponed in their presence. Many of the cases were postponed through the use of the audio-visual remand system. Um, some of the cases were postponed in absentia. And so this is the inconsistency that we speak about. But that wasn't in the majority of the cases. The majority of the cases were postponed in the presence of the accused person. So where the case was postponed in absentia, a warrant of arrest was issued, and that particular accused case was then postponed in the absence of the accused. We were also then informed in a few offices, the senior or the chief magistrate 
I had indicated that no one would get access to the court um, and that the accused would then be turned away before they accessed the court building. So that is contained on slide 17 of the MPA, and those were some of the, the inconsistencies that we got reports from all the directors of public prosecutions. So I think that the other point that we wish to make is that the information contained in our slides are only relevant to those cases of first appearances in relation to the offences um, in terms of the Disaster Management Act. We wanted to capture on a daily basis what was happening in the court environment. And so we put a system in place at the commencement of the lockdown period to get some sense of what was going on. And so our prosecutors were required to report daily and we captured the information daily and often late into the night so that we could provide feedback to the directors of administration in the country in terms of some of the trends and what was happening in our courts. Um, and we felt that is important just to get an understanding of the efficacy of the measures that we are taking to ensure that we minimize the risk of people being coming into contact with the disease and to ensure the safety of the public, to ensure the safety of accused persons, to ensure the safety of court personnel, and of course to ensure the safety of prosecutors. So I turn then to the next uh, issue regarding uh, the Tutuzela centers. All our Tutuzela centers, all services are available at the Tutuzela centers. Again, we try to minimize the number of staff that are at the centers. So there is a reduced number of staff, but when the services are required at each tutuzela, the services are available. So those tutuzelas are all operational and they will continue to be operational because we need to provide those services to the victims of crime and we continue to do so. Um, as far as the priority offences are concerned, um, during the lockdown period, the, the uh, decision had been taken to postpone most of the trials, but for essential or urgent matters. So all urgent bail applications were held, um, and all other urgent matters uh, or essential matters determined by the court, those cases proceeded with. Generally, matters was, was postponed, as I've indicated. Uh, the priority offences that we are currently, uh, or that we have currently identified and that we will deal with going forward, will, of course, be all the gender-based violence offences, sexual offences, transgressions in terms of the disaster management regulations, corruption, serious violence offences like robbery and murder. So these cases will be determined on a local basis where prosecutors are best placed to determine that, the senior public prosecutors in our court, and those cases will then be prioritized. Again, going forward, there will be an attempt to ensure with the judiciary who are in control of the enrollment of cases on our court rolls that the number of people that are in close contact with each other are minimized. Again, in the spirit of what we are dealing with, this current emergency that is affecting us all throughout the country and the world. 
But the cases that needs priority attention will get the attention, particularly the gender-based violence offences. As far as the working relationship with the IPED is concerned and uh, the cases that are reported to IPED, there are standing arrangements uh, between the IPED and the prosecution, and particularly in our provinces between the directors of public prosecutions and the IPED. So any investigation, particularly investigations of a serious nature or of a priority nature, um, can be overseen by directors of public prosecutions, and we've got a, a good working relationship with the IPED. Um, as far as the issues uh, relating to the to the the SAPs and the inconsistent application of the regulations, I think that these uh, points were contained. We picked up in the early stages of the lockdown that there was some measure of inconsistency in the way, in the way in which the SAPs had been ad addressing that. And it's understandable because it was such a new experience to everybody, particularly the law enforcement officers in the field, which is understandable. Largely, those matters have been addressed. And some of the measures we put in place is that we've ensured that prosecutors are located within the joint operational centers in each province. So when issues of concern or inconsistency was raised, it was addressed immediately within the joint operational center where uh, the police command is and all other relevant st uh, stakeholders of the justice, crime prevention and security cluster are based. But more importantly, at the national level, at the national command center, we also ensured that we had placed two prosecutors inside the center so that they could address those challenges that we were receiving from the regions. So what we try to put in place is a very effective communication system between the head office of the National Prosecuting Authority and the directors of public prosecution offices. Who's speaking now? Can you proceed, Advocate Decock? Thank you very much. So what we what we put in place was an effective communication system between ourselves at the national office and the offices of the directors of public prosecution and each and every other office, uh, um, magisterial office uh, and court. And so the feedback that we receive from those offices on a daily basis and where we identify those challenges were then escalated into the National Command Center where the prosecutors were engaging with the police and the other uh, law, of, law enforcement officials. So in this way, we try to ensure that we could manage the system very effectively and I think largely we've been very successful in doing that um, and that, they, that most of the challenges that we encountered in the early stages of, of this process have been addressed. I think that we should all remember that this challenge came upon us very quickly and we tried our best to manage it under very difficult circumstances, including minimizing the number of prosecutors that were also required to be present and on duty. We had a responsibility to our prosecutors as well to ensure that they are minimized in terms of contact with the public. So I think, Chair, I think those are uh, most of the questions. I'm not sure if there are any other 
questions I've missed, NDPP, then perhaps you can direct us um, on, on those questions. Thank you, uh, Rodney and Karen. Chair, there's um, one matter that was raised by two of, of the honourable members, and that's the issue of charges not being enrolled because of insufficient evidence. That is a matter that has, in fact, uh, concerned us. Um, it has increased in the last week, and uh, we are actually uh, putting in place, we are actually looking more deeply into what the reason for this, because 30% is a high number. So we hope that in the next in you know, couple of days, we would know, you know, we'd be able to interrogate what exactly is it. Is it a lack of understanding? But it, certainly, I agree, that should not be such a high percentage. So we were looking into that and will certainly, if it means, you know, having more awareness, raining, uh, raising sessions with our colleagues in the SAPs, because these are new regulations as well. I think it's important. We will certainly do that because there's a very good structure, as Advocate de Kock has explained, to ensure that there's integration and a very close working relationship between the law enforcement agencies uh, during this period. Chair, I think those are all the questions um, that were asked. If there's any that we've inadvertently overlooked, um, we can come back to them or send uh, written responses, Chair. Thank you. Thank you very much uh, for the detailed uh, responses. Uh, can we go to correctional services? Oh, good evening, uh, Chairperson and uh, members of the committee. I trust that I am audible. If very audible. Very audible. Yes, thank you. But you can't see it here. Yeah. You can't see it here. Yeah. yeah, unfortunately, you'll have to make do with that because I tried to make myself visible, but I couldn't manage the system. Okay. Uh, if you allow me. I will respond to some of the questions, but the detailed information, obviously, of an operational nature will be provided by the National Commissioner. Naturally, social distancing is almost impractical in our correctional centers. As members will know, we have always been complaining about the matter of uh, overcrowding in our centers, the lack of money to provide more prisons, and so on. What we have to concentrate on, naturally, is to ensure that uh, there is no, there are no infections that occur in our centers. Uh, so that uh, the inability of social distancing is not really that much necessary. Of course, when people have to go out to have their meals, they would be taken out to do exercises. They will be taken out in small in batches that are going to ensure that in the space available in our centers, they are able to sit apart in accordance with the regulations on social distancing. We also have to make sure that uh, on a regular basis, when officials come into the premises and when they come into our centers, they are screened on a daily basis. They are sanitized in terms of uh, their hands. They are given the face masks, and when necessary, they have to be in touch with the inmates for whatever reason. They have to put on their gloves. When the officials have to enter the cells, they are sanitized because there will be sanitizers in each one of the cells. They 
which are occupied by our, our inmates. And also the inmates themselves are provided with face masks to ensure that uh, they do not uh, get infected and transmit it. Uh, with regard to uh, the matter of province by province information, that information will be, will be provided soon. But on the question of the budget, like uh, the Department of Justice and Constitutional Development, a detailed presentation will have to be provided at a later stage to the, to the committee. Uh, the National Commissioner will decide whether he's got the information regarding the procurement processes of the personal protective equipment and so on that was asked about. I think I've just addressed the matter of training and testing. And now, the infections indeed that come so far in our experience into our centers are brought either by new uh, detainees or by officials. Now, when detainees come into our centers, they are put in isolation, they are naturally screened, and like everybody else, if they are found to be showing signs, then they are to be tested. It is our desire as a department to ensure that everybody in our centers, inmates, as well as officials, are screened and tested. But the priority, as I understand how this, 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 this thing operates, is to ensure that uh, before we take them to testing, they are screened because of the fact that they've been showing signs. Uh, as I said, the ideal is to test everybody, but the resources uh, tend to limit uh, the achievement of our, of our desires. What lessons have been learned? Obviously, the one mentioned by Honorable Gyanji of a decrease or almost elimination of uh, the smuggling of contraband in our centers because of the daily and regular uh, what you call desanitation, the, the contamination and disinfecting of the cells. So that is a good lesson that we've learned. But obviously, the one other lesson is that uh, people already inside the centers, uh, by the time of the outbreak of this uh, coronavirus pandemic, are relatively safer than those who have come in after one. And as the statistics indicate, the people who are affect, infected are the officials as well as the, the, the remand detainees. That is why it's important for them to be taken aside whenever that is done. Now, on the matter of the on the matter of the uh, the nineteen thousand uh, inmates that are to be released, that is a matter that is still being considered by the president. We've made our presentation as the department and ministry, so we're waiting on him. Then we are not in a position to pronounce as to. What details are there regarding that uh, specific matter? Uh, naturally, inmates that have underlying diseases that are vulnerable, such as those infected with uh, HIV and AIDS and tuberculosis, those are given special attention so that they are uh, made more vulnerable than they already are. Now, if I may come to the provincial breakdown 
or what is happening regarding those that are affected. When the male officials that are infected, in Gauteng there are two. In Western Cape there are 26, giving us a total of 34 male officials infected. In the female officials, in Gauteng there's one, in Western Cape there are nine, in Eastern Cape there are 29, in the Limpompompomalanga Northwest region, there are two. At the head office, there's one, giving us a total of 42 uh, females. Now, on remand detainees, there are seven in Gauteng. Yeah, that is all we have. That's in remand detainees. Then, females, there's one in the Western Cape. And then, there's one in the Eastern Cape, and then there are two, uh, giving us a total of two. Now, sentence males, there's one in Western Cape, there's, uh, yeah, that's the only one we have. Uh, sentence females, there's 55 in, uh, two, five, in the Eastern Cape, giving us a total of 55 uh, females, then we don't have any. Uh, yeah, that's about it for now, the numbers that we have. Uh, the correctional centers that are affected, Osimampuru, local remand center, present remand detainees, Johannesburg Medium Center, one male official, official, Mota P, uh, one male and one female official that is making two officials. Karam Wokefeld, male correctional center, 19 males, five females, and 24 officials. That's the other ones are in image. Wokefeld, Wusta, female correctional center, three males and two females, three of five officials. No, no, no. These are officials. Mr. I don't know if uh, there are so many of these uh, centers. I don't know if Chairman would li like me to go through all of them. Uh, at the national office, uh, I've already given the indication. Now, I don't know. I think the other detail then will have to be given by the national commissioner. Uh, but I will be able to entertain any questions the members feel I need to answer. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, Honorable Chair. Before the Commissioner uh, responds, there is a question here from Honorable Hanif Hendricks, who says, can fasting Ramadan prisoners be assisted to break their fast at sunset and perform their prayers? If the Commissioner can also answer that. There are people that I have noted immediately after the responses have been done with, then I will, I will read up the names of the people I've, I've, I've noted. Uh, Commissioner? Uh, thank you, Chairperson, Honorable Members, uh, Deputy Ministers. Uh, on responding to, to some of the operational uh, questions, 
I'd want to reflect firstly on the issue of procurement breakdown. Chair, we we can make that available. We don't have it ready now. It's been a it's a matter that uh, we have been very busy with, but I think we can provide that uh, at the next sitting if that's allowed. On the issue of uh, the budget, the adjusted budget, based on the announcements of the Minister of Finance, need to indicate that uh, that is the working progress. National Treasury is busy with the reprioritizing process, prioritization process. So we're just awaiting uh, the finalization of that process. So it's obvious to state that there's been no adjusted, adjusted budget proposed at this stage. I just thought that I wanted to, to present that, uh, Chairperson. Um, on, on the issue of uh, Mangahun, I maybe I must indicate, and it's in the presentation, that as part of the strategy of the department to respond to this pandemic, we had established what we could call loosely as war rooms at the national level, a regional level, and at the local level, or equivalent to a district level. These mechanisms is established to ensure that we are able to speedily report incidents relating to COVID or any other security situation, but specifically to COVID, these mechanisms allow us to interface with the district disaster management structures, the provincial disaster management structures, and the national disaster management structures. We have also ensured that these, this reporting takes place timely so that we're able to provide the required response in areas of distress. Um, so I, I wanted to, to, to reflect on that. Uh, it's in this context that our PPEs, in this instance, Mangahun, is also required to report on a daily basis on the status of activities within their precincts. And that, that occurs. Uh, they do not form part of our our national war room, but they report to the regional office, uh, regional operational center, and we track all activities in that regard. Uh, I, I can reflect on the issue of Bavianspoort. There had been an incident at Bavianspoort. Uh, this matter is under investigation. Uh, what uh, I'm supposed, there's a final report expected by tomorrow. But maybe important part to note that has been shared based on what happened at Bavianspoort. Uh, as part of, part of our prevention strategy, the department embarked on a daily process where we sanitize our, ourselves. And through the sanitization process, we also search the cells. This in itself ensures that there is no contraband. Uh, or it's an attempt to ensure that we clear up the, the cells with, from contraband. In this instance, uh, there was indication that the offenders resisted the setting of this cells. And that is what created an uh, unfortunate situation. And I think that situation was preempted also by the unfortunate calls and reckless calls by Golden Miles Budu. Uh, that 
these offenders exploited during the process, but I'd be able to give feedback on the matter post the, the final investigation report. On the issue of screening, I can indicate, I think the, uh, the Deputy Minister has reflected that um, screening takes place daily. Uh, I think the cumulative figure for screening thus far is in the vicinity of 509,000 uh, for officials uh, and and similar amount and number for offenders. We've now digitized our screening process. We're doing a pilot of that so that we're able to monitor at our local operational center or our many, um, uh, management area operational center, our regional center, and our national center, that we're able to track live uh, the, the actual screening of both officials, service providers, uh, uh, staff, and family that live on site, as well as the offenders. Uh, this process is in its first week, and we are, are monitoring it very closely. I think what we've built in, in this application is also to look at comorbidities so that we're able to look at the risk profile of both offender and officials. It's slightly more difficult with officials because there's, a, there's the issue of privacy around medical records. So it's where officials are prepared to share that with us. When it comes to offenders, we're fortunate in that we've got the full record of, of the, the, the offenders. So screening is taking place. I think there's, I know that there's the challenge of symptomatic and asymptomatic, um, what you say, symptoms relating to, to individuals. Uh, this is why when we identify someone having been in contact with a positive case, we adopt the approach of talking the quarantine. I thought that I, I wanted to reflect on, on that chair. Um, the other point that I, I, I can reflect on, because Guillaume and the Minister had covered much, uh, out of the lessons learned... Honorable members, can you mute your mics? Maybe there's a, a point I, 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 I left out when I, I dealt with Bavian's port or so, Chairperson. It's, it's the fact that whether the termination or suspension of visits to offenders, what we've also impacted on is the, the smuggling of contraband. And, and the fact that tobacco was also restricted as pronounced by the president it created a situation that we anticipated that uh, after the second week, we thought that there will be anxiety within our facilities because of the use of drugs which accompanies tobacco. Uh, so we have been and continue to anticipate that there may be situations in this regard. Um, so I'm just saying, and that's why we do the searches along with, with, with the issue.
of, of sanitization. Um, uh, only lessons learned uh, from, from the cases that we have uh, been exposed to. As a department, we have uh, developed uh, further standard operating procedures. We have just finalized 23 standard operating procedures. I'll just read through the high-level items of these procedures. Uh, these procedures were scrutinized by two sets of uh, medical professionals to, to endorse them. So we have done that. And these, these SOPs have been signed off. So I'll just go through them if you allow me, Chairperson. The first one relates to the maintenance of partnerships. And this relates to our partnerships at the district, provincial, and national level in our fight against COVID. So it's the maintenance of that. It's also to ensure that we report on the efficacy of, of these, these uh, partnerships and these, these mechanisms in its effort to support not just us, but the local communities. The second SOP that we've developed is the training of healthcare officials. We've also looked at training of other staff in the different functions and of, uh, inmates. And this is to make sure that because we understand that part of our preventative posture, the most important element of that is communication. So we'll be doing the communication uh, consistent with training. Our third SOP relates to the preventative strategies. And here it's about three legs of them. It's the issue of awareness and sensitization. The second one is about infection prevention and control. The third one relates to cleaning and decontamination. Our fourth top SOP relates to admission and release processes so that we are able to ensure that when people enter and when people leave, that we've gone through a process to ensure that no one is vulnerable when they get in contact with either inside or outside our centers. On the issue of screening, we are doing this. There's an SOP for that, and the SOP relates to inmates, officials, service providers, parolees, learners, and residents on our premises. Our sixth SOP relates to resources, and this is specifically to finance, procurement, and the procurement of PPEs. Our seventh SOP relates to movement control, and that's between courts and ourselves, between police stations, police and ourselves, and amongst uh, the various centers. Our eighth uh, SOP relates to guarding and escorting to ensure that we we, we manage uh, our processes in a responsible manner. The ninth one, although visitations are suspended, we have developed the SOP for visitations. The tenth one is about segregation of inmates presented with respiratory symptoms. Our 11th SOP relates to provision of psychosocial services to both officials and inmates, and especially in the instance where they have been identified positive or detected positive. Our 12th SOP relates to quarantine and isolation, how we prepare those areas, 
and how it is functioned. The second SOP re relates to case identification, including the transportation of specimens for testing. The 14th SOP relates to transformation, the transportation of presumptive and confirmed COVID cases um, and to our, our identified quarantines and isolation sites. We have done this because we anticipate that if the outbreak escalates, there may be a challenge for the, for the health services within society to assist us. So we are preempting that by ensuring that in terms of emergency medical services, we are in a position to, to respond to this. Uh, the 15th SOP relates to the management of confirmed COVID-19 cases. Our sixth SOP relates to the handling of babies of COVID-19 suspects or confirmed mothers. Our 17th SOP relates to the notification of identified cases. Our 18th talks about the referral and medical evacuations. Our 19th SOP relates to contingency plans for national COVID outbreak. Our 20th SOP relates to contact and tracing. Our 21st SOP relates to the handling of healthcare medical waste. Our 22nd SOP relates to the disposal of human remains. And our 23rd SOP relates to reporting, uh, recording and reporting. Chair, I was hoping that that SOP in what we've developed thus far and the subsequent plans, operational plans that will emanate from them, will give the members a sense of what we, have, what we are doing as a department to ensure the safety and well-being of both our officials, their families and offenders. Uh, so I, I, I thought that I, I, I hope that that addresses some of most of the questions that were raised. On the issue of Mr. Nele, the Regional Commission of KZN, I need to indicate that this matter is subjudicated because it's within the court process, but maybe to indicate uh, that we had received a SIU report, which is with the president as well, and the referral was made uh, to the department to action disciplinary processes consistent to the findings of the essay. The hearings has commenced uh, and it's, it's continuing. So I wouldn't want to reflect further on the matter, but just to indicate that as part of my fiduciary responsibility, it's important that I protect the interest of the department at all material times. Chairperson, I'm hoping that I have covered the questions both. Uh, yeah, I, 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 I know there was a question with regard to lessons of in London. I think the SOPs that we've developed is a response to that. But I must indicate that is London at quarters flat-footed, I can concede that. Um, because it was right at the onset of lockdown. And the case of East London emanates from an individual, an official that attended the funeral 
it's it's ironic that the same is what we are seeing in the Western Cape. There was a funeral in Sierras, and it seems contamination may have spread from that area. But I don't want to go into the details because it's still under investigation from ourselves so that we have a better sense of how cross-contamination is taking place within our centers. But I'm hoping our SOPs, none of this chairperson and, and honorable members are static. These are all evolving processes. We remain challenged as a department, uh, and we, we, we look at any advice uh, that, that can assist us to ensure that we look after the safety of not just our official members, but broader society. Thank you, Chair. Chair, if I could, sorry, if yes. I could come in, I, I need to make an apology to the meeting as well as the, to make a correction. The majority of the infected inmates are sentenced offenders. 55 of them are sentenced in East London. One is a remand detainee in East London. One female offender in Portsmouth is a remand detainee. And seven male inmates in Jose Mamburu are remand detainees. I made the mistake of saying the majority are remand detainees. In fact, it's sentenced offenders. I want to apologize to the committee for that. Thank you very much. Are you done, Tian? Yes, I am. Thank you very much. Uh, um, I think we are done with the responses. I had noted the following people. Honorable Sam Zandamela, Honorable Nita, uh, Follow up by Honorable Mohammed, a follow up by Honorable Ndlozi, a follow up by Honorable Janji, in that order. Uh, but before, uh, Commissioner, the issue of uh, the question that was asked by Honorable Hendrik Hendricks was not answered. Sorry, Chair, I just realized, uh, I remembered now. On the issue of the breaking of fast by our, our Muslim inmates, that is happening. Uh, uh, we have ensured that uh, facilities for prayer are also made available. So that is happening. Uh, thank you, Chair. Thank you very much. Chairperson, I would like to, Chairperson, Chairperson, I would like to ask a question. Who's speaking now? The Honorable Kinumzama. Honorable Mzamai, you will be noted there are people before you. Yeah. Um, Honorable Sam Mandela. Honorable Zandamela. I think I think there is a problem there. Honorable Meta. Thank, thank you, Chairperson. Most of the questions has been responded to there, but of course I do have some that I would like you to to respond to. Uh, the first question, Chair, is in relation with the cases that are 
some of the cases that the department is saying, there are case civil cases that will be handled, and also there will be criminal cases that will be also handled. What I would like to know, are there mitigations that are in place to make sure that the department deals with the issue of the backlog? And also, Chair, the second one is on the issue of overload to our prosecutors. Are there mitigations in place to make sure that there are no serious uh, implications in terms of overload to our, our prosecutors, especially in cases that are going to be handled this period of lockdown and also after the lockdown? Thank you very much, Chair. Thank you very much, Honorable Neta, Honorable Mohammed. Yeah. Honorable Mohammed. Yeah, sorry, my mic was. Um, just a, a, a proposal for, for consideration. Given the minister was indicating that there would be a, a, a rollout of the AVR systems. Now we know the, as we all know, the AVR, uh, we, only only postponement, postponements are being done on it at the moment. Uh, that we they would it will be important to also research what the possibilities are to do pleadings if all parties agree to it in the near future. I don't know whether the NEEC, chaired by the Chief Justice, as well as the Law Commission or any other authorities, looking at it. Uh, maybe for the NPA to to, to 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 consider that in the near future, maybe not in this phase, but very soon. And that will also, I know we currently uh, postponing trials in, in matters, so we're not there yet. But it seems we will need to do even pleadings in the near future uh, utilizing AVR. Thanks. Thank you. I think that should also be part of our continuous uh, oversight. Uh, as the committee uh, on the issue that you have raised. Uh, Honorable Jose. Uh, thanks, Chairperson. <clears throat> um, I, I think it's obvious that we're going to have to have a, a second meeting which uh, takes care of some of the detail that uh, we have requested. But I want to criticize the the strategy of screening as actually absolutely uh, futile when it comes to COVID-19 uh, because scientific uh, research has indicated that um, COVID-19 is present amongst asymptomatic people and they are able to pass it around. So unlike uh, the coronavirus um, viruses that existed before, um, the specific uniqueness relating to COVID-19 is uh, the, the sort of asymptomatic aspect. And one of the, and as a result, screening is useless when it comes to it because people who have it uh, show no symptoms and uh, they can still pass it from person to person. And um, already, uh, in a lot of
medical journals, for an example, the New England Journal of Medicine, already recommends that um, uh, based on the studies, for an example, of cases in the United States, um, in uh, you know those uh, 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 homes uh, of aged people, uh, the, the, the virus went extremely viral, and it was based from the studies that were done, the majority of the people that were there, particularly the nurses, showed no symptoms whatsoever. And uh, and some of the deaths, the, the greater the greater number of fatalities are coming uh, from those centers, including in the UK. And there is already a recommendation that enclosed and mass spaces like prisons, you can't depend on screening. It will lead you nowhere. And, and therefore, we, we must impress upon the department that you are basically incubating the virus there. Uh, you say that when officials come, we screen them. You'll not be able to find anything because the behavior of COVID-19 is that it doesn't show its symptoms. So there has to be a rethinking completely uh, if you're going to, to, to avoid uh, you know, the entire prison system being infested because it looks also like the argument for social distancing in prison is close to impossible. There is obviously overcrowding in majority of the prisons here in South Africa. So you want to do proper testing. You want to do an incremental mass testing where the cases have been detected. Not screening. It will lead you nowhere. And, and I think that, uh, that this is the, the basic criticism that I want to level uh, around the prison system. Uh, of South Africa. You're going to have a lot of deaths that are going to come uh, from this in the, in the next few weeks if you don't change your approach. And uh, at least we would have communicated to you on time. Change your approach or you're going to find yourself in the same situation that uh, uh, these countries that are reporting high numbers of fatalities find themselves in. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, Honorable Ndlozi. <laughs> I guess I think that is a heavy one. I think uh, it needs a lot of uh, discussion beyond correctional services because I think uh, the Department of Health also needs to to engage with that issue that you have raised. Now, thank you very much, uh, Honorable Janji. No, thank you very much. Uh, I think you have already hit uh, uh, the nail on the head there. Because I think uh, Honorable Doze is raising an important uh, yet a general point. Because it's not a point that is uh, a correctional services one. We'll have to share his uh, uh, his, his, his his suggestion with, with the health department. But I must just say that as he says that, you know, because this pandemic, uh, what is important here affects data, clients, not views. Uh, that is why Trump is in trouble in the U.S. because he wants to make his views as part of it. But uh, was screening, testing, antibody testing are, are, are universal things. But each country has got to because it, it's about step by step things. Uh, so he is right in saying that uh, the screening is is not effective. But it was never intention to only focus on the screening. The screening must lead you. To something, for example, the community uh, uh, health workers, what they are doing, they do screening and they're able to refer those people for proper testing. Well, screening on its own is never a testing. 
I don't want us to get into that kind of a discussion now, uh, but I think the issue is it's, it's, it's already been understood as one aspect amongst many others that must give you a comprehensive con kind of conclusion. The second point, Chair, I wanted to, to, to speak to is uh, appreciating the responses from the, both the DMs and, uh, and, 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 and their departments and, and agreeing with some of the things that they are saying. I would suggest that in future, as part of the COVID intervention, that we begin to, to have some joint sessions with the, with the PC on police. There are quite a number of things that begin to bring us together. I would want you to note that, that as part of this, uh, we oversighting the regulations and the, P, and the, and the PC on police is playing a particular role and it will be good to deal with issues in one session. And 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 do that. The, the next point I want to raise really is for the DM of Justice and his team. Um, I would be interested that you come back to us and tell us, especially the issue of the virtual initiatives in the, the sexual offences court, uh, because we, we it, it would give us a lot of lessons even in future as to how we can do things differently than we are doing now, given the kind of pressures, the kind of uh, uh, stigmas and other issues that get in, into that space. Uh, otherwise, Chair, those are the, the few points that I just wanted to, to respond to. Thank you very much. Uh, thank you very much. Uh, I have the following people, Honorable Mutsamai, Honorable Dodofu, I think uh, Honorable Sam Zandamela has rejoined us. I uh, will take him again. Honorable Mutamai. Honorable Mutamai. I'm there now. Yes, but we can't see you. Okay, okay, okay. Hey. I'm pleased it doesn't come all right. Uh, we can speak. Continue, continue, honourable member. Okay. Just... No, again. Okay, okay. I was just want to ask. I mean, a, a, a national commissioner. What? Why there are the members who are working in correctional service? A Babatun and a Motab, those who expose a corruption. One of on Motab, one of the members who exposed the corruption was suspended with others for exposing the corruption, and he was given an award to return back to prison and work. Those people they must go back and work. Yes. I think Honorable Tanchi, uh, the question raised by uh, Honorable Mzamai uh, should also be followed up uh, by the subcommittee. As you might know that uh, there are issues that have been raised 
um, concerning corruption, especially at Modabi prison. Uh, I think that should be generally part of of what the subcommittee should follow up on. Agreed. Thank you very much. Uh, Honorable Dodovo. Honorable Dodovo. Kulele. Okay. Can you go back to Honorable Honorable Sam Zandamela. Honorable Sam Zandamela. Okay, we will pass Honorable Zandamela. Uh, we will pass Honorable Dodovo. Can we go to the responses? And can we agree that this is the last batch of questions? Because we are still going to have another meeting. Um, uh, hey, can, I, can I start the responses? Yes, Honorable Dion. Um, so firstly, uh, Honorable Mlita's question on, uh, well, there were two parts, the issue of the overload on the prosecutors. I think the NPA need to respond on that one. On the issue of backlogs generally, um, well, we already have backlogs. This is just going to make them much worse. Uh, but we can't really uh, look at doing things like extra hours to, um, to deal with the backlog uh, because, um, you know, we've still got to, to limit numbers into courts and um, there are disruptions when uh, somebody in the court comes out as positive uh, um, and, uh, yeah, there's a lot of disruptions generally in society. However, I mean, I think nobody would uh, deny that our court system is, is efficient. I think it's very inefficient, it's, and there's a lot that we can improve on. So I, I think this is a challenge to us to use a situation to develop a more efficient uh, court system uh, uh, and less time wasted because there are incredible amounts of time wasted in the court. Um, on the issue of pleadings via AVR, look, the audiovisual remands are... Uh, done um, are in terms of statute amendments to the Criminal Procedure Act. Um, we have to, we can, we'll look at that obviously. Um, the thing I would be, and, and I'd be interested in the NPA's comments, but the, um, uh, and, and it would also need to be something in that we engage with the uh, presiding officers on, uh, but uh, uh, sort of virtual court cases are easier in civil court where the parties can agree rather than the criminal court where the accused have rights. And, um, but definitely there would have to be uh, statutory amendments. Um, the virtual initiative in the sexual offences courts, uh, look, I, I'm not, I mean, there is a virtual aspect in, in, in that the accused testify in a room uh, and it's then relayed uh, via audiovisual uh, to the, the court. 
Um, that room doesn't have to be in the same, I mean, it's usually just off the court, doesn't have to be. Um, and it's the witness and the uh, intermediary if there is one. Um, so that's sort of what's happening at the, at the moment. Um, but unfortunately, with, with criminal matters, one has to be a lot more careful with audiovisual um, evidence. Uh, you know, if, if, if I wanted, if Honorable Dankies wants to testify that he saw, uh, sorry, um, it's just, uh, uh, yeah, he saw the chairperson doing something, uh, you don't necessarily want that relayed through video because maybe somebody is standing in front of, behind the camera, telling, uh, uh, writing out what Honorable Dankies must say, or holding a gun to his head. Uh, that if you don't say this, we're going to to pull the trigger. So th those are some of the things that we've got to uh, we've got to look at. Uh, I think that was largely uh, it. I mean, is the issue then on the on um, Honourable Nita's other part of her question on the overload of the prosecutors, uh, and the NPA may want to to respond to things. Thank you, Chair. If I may. Chair, I can I can only agree with with the DM that um, you know the backlog situations in our court court system, which is not the most e efficient to actually put it generously, uh, is going to get very very serious. And and the minister alluded to some of the initiative initiatives that might be necessary. For example, uh, setting up of of Saturday courts and and that kind of thing. But it's, it's certainly going to require all the role players, the judiciary, the department, the NPA, um, and other role players in, in the court system to really uh, think about what um, initiatives that we could put in place to deal with this. Chair, we're also seeing um, a whole, an increase in the number of particular crime types uh, at this stage in time, and, and we are going to see increasingly you know, crimes related to poverty, um, you know, in, in, in the near future. And, and we are going to see crimes um, in disproportionately affecting women and children. And so we have to think about how are we going to organize ourselves to actually make sure that, that we deal with these cases in a, in a compassionate way. And perhaps we also need to be thinking about a greater use of alternate dispute resolution mechanisms um, which is not yet formalized, and so we need to think of, we need to think about formalizing that system, and so putting in place um, these systems. Because in as much as chair, there are huge challenges uh, uh, as a result of COVID. There are also massive opportunities that we have. It's actually forcing us in government. It's forcing us in the NPA, in the criminal justice system, to really rethink the way we're doing things. Because otherwise, people would just, you know, we get into our comfort zones and nobody wants to change. This is forcing us to really try to become innovative in what we are doing and how to do things differently. So I think we must really seize this, this moment to look at how we could use technology better. And in the JCPS cluster, we are looking at um, the economic recovery recovery plan post COVID, and and we've we've identified certain um, what we would what we would term as catalytic projects 
that if done properly will really have a huge impact on the country and one of them is is the modernization and 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 the integrated justice uh, system project which has been on for a long time but hopefully not hopefully it will now get the boost that it needs to force us to change and so i think you know in as much as we will face these challenges um there are opportunities that we really should not um let go at this point in time in terms of really trying to force change within the criminal justice system so that we can can become more efficient the other crime that we're going to see more of chair is we had we had corruption that we're trying to deal with pre covid but we already within saps there's been reports of covid related corruption where people see the opportunity to get their hands onto into the cookie jar that is the various relief interventions that government is proposing and so just this week the various law enforcement and entities including the dpci the npa um the siu the fic um all came together and we have put together what i think is a really exciting response to i think it will it it gives law enforcement an opportunity to show that we can immediately respond to corruption in a, in a very swift and effective way so there are really good plans that are being played, uh, put in place and and i think it the good thing is now we're not investigating corruption years after the fact like state capture but we will be dealing with it efficiently we have the fusion center concept uh, where there's going to be a sort of a command center that will be uh, in the financial intelligence center that's going to be set up there and so all of the key role players will be in one space and will be coordinating from national to all the various provinces to make sure that there's an immediate coordinated response and there will be and there will be uh, joint reporting up to the command center as well so that is just been put in place um and you know hopefully um we will see that bearing fruit in the near future so i think there's huge opportunities chair and and we really need to seize the moment thank you chair thank you very much i think we should look closely at those uh, innovation innovative uh, suggestions that you are coming up with i think quite interesting we can report further on it in, uh, in future sessions chair thank you very much uh, honorable tm correctional services oh thank you chairperson <clears throat> well i want to agree with the honorable members uh, who make the point that uh, screening cannot be the beginning and the end of it because indeed there are instances where you'll find that despite the screening showing no signs of the infection there are people who will nonetheless be found at a later stage that they are in fact positive so in addition to doing that as i indicated earlier we we the ideal is that we screen and test everybody in our center to be certain and in that regard we are working very closely with the national department as well as the provincial departments of health in uh, ensuring that uh, there's a massive screening and testing that is taking place at the moment we are still concentrating on johannesburg on kosimampuru on east london on portsmouth and deben wesley we are rolling it out to all our centers so i was just wanted to make that comment in that regard Regarding the question, the point made by Mr. Mutsamai, 
Yes, indeed, you are aware of uh, reports of corruption involving senior members, senior officers of the Department of Correctional Services. And you are looking into that. You are busy designing ways of uh, addressing it. Because it's something that is much more serious than you can think. Because it's not only limited to what you read in the papers, but it's something that is internal now. That, uh, that is of very much concern to us. We're looking into that as a department. Thank you. Thank you very much. I think those are the responses to the questions that were asked by the second round of questions. Um, thank you very much, uh, honorable members. Uh, let me thank you for your patience. And um, as it was for the first time that we're meeting, I think your patience was highly appreciated. And let me thank the departments, the ministers and NPA, the commissioners, for the questions uh, that were responded to. It's quite clear that a lot of work is being done. Um, and also on our side, I think um, on the correctional side, I would suggest to the, to the subcommittee to specifically look at the SOPs. There are quite many, um, but we need as parliament to go to detail of what is in those SOPs. Uh, the commissioner gave us a high-level um, presentation or responses on the, on the SOPs, but I think it would be important for the for this uh, for the subcommittee to to go into detail into what uh, what is contained in those SOP and how watertight are they. Um, I would suggest that uh, as soon as possible we we the, the subcommittee deal with those issues. But what we would be doing would be organizing another meeting. Hopefully, we would engage the, the House Chair uh, to give us a morning slot so that, one, we have everybody, especially the minister, and we have enough time to engage with issues. I think we have covered a lot of ground on operational issues, but also that does not mean that we we have dealt with the other issues that members would have liked to raise with the minister. So we will be organizing that meeting soon. Uh, the secretariat will be communicating uh, to you members on the date and time of that meeting. Um, I would propose that we leave, uh, we leave it at that for today and a date for the next meeting would be communicated. Are we happy, honorable members? Thank you, Chair. That's, that's fine, Chair. Thank you. Okay. Chair, it's okay. We, we bye, Chair. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye, Chair. Thank you very much. Thank you, Chair. Thank you. Thanks, Chair. Thanks, Chair. Thank you, Chair, from Wilma. Thank you, Chair. Well done. Bye, Chair. Bye-bye. Bye.